On today's show, the Celtics dominate the Bucks and close in on the number one seed. We rank the teams under the most pressure in the West and come up with our MLB-style rule changes for the NBA. A fun one here on Locked on NBA. You are Locked on NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked on NBA. I'm Wes Goldberg here with Gavin Shaw. Coming up, we rank the most desperate teams in the Western Conference and come up with some NBA rule changes inspired by baseball's opening day, whether you're tuning in on YouTube, Odyssey, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making Locked on NBA your first listen every day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Let's jump right in. What started as a chance for two MVP candidates to make statements on national TV uh, on Thursday night ended up being pretty disappointing. Giannis's Bucks got blown out by the Celtics in a game that was pretty much over at halftime. Uh, he played just 25 minutes in Milwaukee's 140 to 99 drubbing for the Celtics. Meanwhile, Nikola Jokic was a late scratch before tonight's game against the Pelicans as the Nuggets monitor his calf injury. But I guess maybe the team that ended up making the statement was the Celtics. 40 points for Jason Tatum, 30 for Jalen Brown. They did it in front of Cheryl Crow, which is a thing. Uh, the Celtics <laughs> have won eight of their last 11 now. During that span, Gavin, they're second in offensive rating, second in defensive rating, they're first in net rating in the NBA. They're, they're only two games back from the one seed. Uh, Gavin, what did you make of Boston's win over Milwaukee? Yeah, I thought I thought it was important, particularly, you know, coming off that Wizards game, going into it, Malcolm Brogdon said, hey, we care about getting the one seed, and then they lose by 19 points to the Wizards. Look, by and large, disinterested defensively that game, can't shoot the basketball at all. And then this one is a total reversal. And I don't know about you, Wes, but it, it certainly changed my perception. And maybe it shouldn't because it's one game. Obviously, the Bucks were coming off a of back-to-back. But it did change my perception a little bit about where these teams are in the Eastern Conference pecking order in terms of the actual seeding. Probably not going to mm-hmm. matter. The Bucks still overwhelming favorites to get the one seed. But in terms of how they'll actually match up um, in a theoretical Eastern Conference Finals matchup, um, my mind changed a little bit because to me, I, I had the Bucks as the overwhelming favorite, not just in the East, but in the NBA as a whole. I mean, just the size, the physicality, the fact that Chris Middleton has gone from a question mark to someone who has played um, a typical like all-star, maybe close to third-team all-NBA level basketball the last seven or so games. Drew Holiday kind of inexplicably peaking in his 14th year. Giannis, um, despite a down year efficiency-wise, as dangerous as ever. And a Boston team that I don't know. I like you. You just pull, pulled out all those stats. I got to be honest. I, I didn't really know they were playing well because all I've been hearing the last few weeks yeah. is how Jalen Brown is going to leave, how Jason Tatum is is a top five guy, but like only kind of sort of like plays like it and has that killer instinct in the regular season. And then they just pour it on the Bucks. I mean, the craziest stat to me in this one with one eleven left in the third quarter. Um, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum combined were outscoring the Bucks seventy to sixty nine. You hear that stat four minutes in the game. You do not hear it. 30 minutes into game West, but but what did you think of this one? Yeah, I mean, all of that, you, you mentioned the 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 Celtics just sort of sneaking up on people, and that's what happened. Tatum had that shooting rut coming out of the all-star break. Like you mentioned, all the stuff going around Jalen Brown about whether or not he's gonna be back next year, could he, he get traded this summer? And yet Celtics just keep cruising along. What really stuck out to me was they just went right at Giannis. Giannis as a defender is so scary, and they just went right at him and they didn't care. Um, you had Jason Tatum getting him in isolation situations and just, you know, crossing crossing him over, getting to his looks, getting to his shots that he wanted to get to. 
Defensively, they were building a wall in front of Giannis, so they were able to use their length, their athleticism to build that wall. When Giannis kicked out, they were long and athletic enough to close out on those shooters, which is something that Giannis is so great at, right? That's part of his why he's so valuable to the Bucs is he's able to, to collapse defenses and kick out the shooters. Most defenses don't have the athletes the way that the Celtics do, and so I thought they were completely locked in. They took on the challenge tonight of playing the number one seed against the Bucs. And to your point, I think they tried to, to make a statement and say, you know what? We know that you have the best record. We know you've kind of cruised to the number one seed so far. We know that people have been doubting us. Well, guess what? We're still here, and we should be the favorites. We're the team that represented the Eastern Conference in the finals last year. Um, I thought that was a statement win by the Celtics. I think they took it personally. And for a team that sometimes felt like they weren't always doing that, right? We remember like that early matchup against the Warriors, and they just sort of phoned it in, and it kind of felt like, are, is this team sort of shying away from the moment? And tonight they didn't. And and with five games left for them, you know, I thought that was really important uh, as, as sort of a statement win to build momentum going into the playoffs. I think their best basketball was sort of in that opening month of the season when they were shooting like 80% from three or whatever it was. But they're playing as good as they have basically all year at the most important time now. So I think it is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a reminder of what the ceiling can be offensively and that there's no team in the NBA that can match the shot making of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I mean, Jalen scored 17 in the first quarter. And I, I wrote down in my notes like, oh, he's he's basically doing what you expect Jason Tatum to be doing. And it was kind of similar to what we saw in the finals last year where, where Jalen was the guy who stepped up. And then right as I'm writing off Jason Tatum for the game, he scored 11 points from the final minute of the first quarter into the first two and a half minutes of the second quarter on his way to 40. Basically, all of them coming after those opening 11 minutes through the end of the third quarter. It was just a ridiculous performance. And honestly, it reminded me of the all-star game West when those two mm. were just going back and forth, except they were on the same team. And then you mix in Malcolm Brogdon, just torching guys off the dribble. Um, Al Horford hitting a 30 footer in this game and Joe Missoula, who has taken um, a lot of crap. Uh, some of it justified this year, um, obviously still is the Celtics in a really good place. And I, I think showcases some really good creativity offensively and finds ways to leverage these guys and their shooting and their skill sets in really fascinating ways. Like he, he had a Spain pick and roll that ended up in a wide open three um, for Tatum where, where two guys or, or excuse me, it was a wide open three for Horford where Horford set the screen and, and two guys stuck with Tatum because he caused such a panic and Horford just popped out and drained it. And then he's running like weak side stuff that's allowing Jalen Brown to cut off the ball and Marcus Smart to deliver timely passes. So I, I understand that in, in terms of like I, I heard um, I heard our, our own Locked On Celtics podcast and John Corrales talking about Joe Missoula still needing to develop a sense for time and, and, a, and a sense of the game and a, a sense of the moment. But in, in terms of offensive creativity, like he, he has me sold as a coach. And to me, like that's ultimately what it comes down to in the playoffs. Like how well can you like leverage the gravity of your best players? And he does a great job of, of that. I, I'm curious your take on on the Bucks though, because to me, this just felt like an exhausted team. Like, like Giannis, like I, I, I know the Celtics played really good defense on him. But to some extent, we saw them try to build a wall last year, and, and Giannis just mowed right through it. And when he got pissed at the end of the second quarter, he scored, what was it, 12 points in like three minutes? He mowed right through it right. again. Um, I, I thought it was fatigue more than anything else, but was there anything like concerning for you from Milwaukee, or do you think it was just an off night? I'll chalk it up to, I don't know, I'll chalk it up to a really strong first punch by the Celtics and the Bucks, just sort of being like, you know what, it's, it's the end of the year. Let's sort of monitor what we're going to do here. Um, 
Yeah, that's what I think. If this were a playoff game, maybe the Bucks don't fold quite as early. Uh, but look, I, I thought the, the the Celtics brought the physicality. You know, they, they you had uh, Jalen Brown. I don't think it was on purpose, but kind of going with that Euro step and knocking Chris Middleton in the in the chin with in, with his elbow, trying to go through that Euro step, trying to cross over into the middle of the lane. Middleton falls over. He's bleeding on the court. Just like literally, just like blood pouring out of his mouth onto the court. It was kind of gruesome, but like that was (laughs) he just that was but it just sends the message, you know. Like that's I again, I don't think Jalen Brown did it on purpose, but he had to wear a mask, and he was like, "Now you're gonna wear a mask, I guess." So I don't know. It it was it was pretty brutal to to answer your question specifically. No, I I I make more of this is to me more of uh this is more important for Boston than it was for Milwaukee. I make I make more of this for the Celtics than I do. The Bucks. In terms of what this means in the standings, though, because we did hint at it, uh, can the Celtics get the number one seed? They're only two back uh, uh, of the one seed Bucks here. You look at their next five games. Boston plays Utah at Philly, home against Toronto, home against Toronto in that baseball style series, and then uh, at home against Atlanta to close the year. Uh, and then you look at what Milwaukee has on their schedule: home against Philly, road against Washington, home against the Bulls. Uh, home against the Grizzlies, and then they end the year in Toronto. So you look at that schedule, Boston's is a little bit more favorable. That that first Toronto game is on the second night of a back-to-back, but at least it's at home. Um, you figure they should be able to beat Utah. In Philly, that's going to be tough. We'll see what happens. That could be another classic game. Um, but they should be favored both games against Toronto, that game against Atlanta, and that game against Utah. So they could theoretically at least go 4-1 and one or something in these final five games. And then you look at uh, Milwaukee, Philly, Washington, Chicago. That's the second night of a back-to-back. That could be a little tough. Memphis, Toronto. I don't know. Like Memphis and Philadelphia are really tough. Maybe they drop that second night of back to game, back to uh, back against the Bulls who are playing okay lately. I don't know. I guess maybe they go three and two, but even if that happens, that's probably not enough. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be enough if they go three and two and Boston goes four and one. Boston does have the tiebreaker now with this win, which I guess is important, but um still two games back with five games to go that's a lot that's a lot of ground to cover yeah I don't I I don't think it happens it's to your point it's not it's not impossible it would just take a collapse from Milwaukee and we we got a note I mean uh, TNT brought up on the broadcast even with this loss the Bucks are 25 and 5 since January 23rd right ever since Chris Mm -hmm. Middleton got back not even not even since Chris Middleton got healthy um, but since he got back, this team has been rolling over people. Obviously, they reinforced their depth by acquiring Jay Crowder. Somehow, somehow, uh, people let that happen. Um, this is a deep team. This is a ferocious team. I ultimately think after what happened last year, where they watched Grant Williams inexplicably drain like 15 threes um, in a game seven um, at TD Garden, I, I, I think they go as hard as they need to go to secure the one seed and, and ultimately get it done. Um, I, I guess, I guess final question for me was before we wrap up this part of the conversation, like, like any, any quick prediction on how that series could potentially go? Because to me, the bellwether, like weirdly enough, a guy who didn't play a huge role in this game is Robert Williams and his health. Like, like if you get a hundred percent apex version of him, we, we haven't seen the Celtics play the same type of defense they played under Ime Udoka. What really unlocked that last year was the two big lineup with him and Horford to me, he's the one guy who, again, if he's at a hundred percent can pose like a little bit of a challenge for Giannis one-on-one. If not, I just think Giannis is such a mismatch for the Celtics and could swing the series now that he actually has some firepower behind him. Yeah. I look, I, I think this was a really impressive win by the Celtics. It's not enough for me to go out right and pick the Celtics. I've been picking the bucks 
basically since the preseason, and, and I feel pretty good about that now. And yeah. I think we basically saw the Celtics strategy. This is going to be it. And if Milwaukee's shooters make shots a little bit more and Giannis is going to have plenty of looks to figure it out, and there's just, we've seen this already, man. He just gets to another level in the playoffs. So uh, not enough for me to go out right and say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and predict and pick the Celtics in a hypothetical matchup. I'm still going to go with the Bucks, But, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me either way. I think it'll be a seven-game series again. Uh, I'm glad you brought up what happened last year, though, in terms of Milwaukee kind of resting their players at the end of the regular season, kind of gifted Boston home court advantage, right? And then and then you mentioned that game seven that ended up yes. sending uh, Boston to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, all right, which teams in the Western Conference are the most desperate to make a deep playoff run? We're going to talk about that next, but first. Today's episode of Locked on NBA is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The tournament is heating up, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. So just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net all on the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Thanks for making Locked on NBA your first listen every day. Let's go to the Western Conference where three teams... Uh, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, and the Kings have already clinched a playoff spot, but only two t- uh, two games separate seeds 6 through 10. One and a half games separate 10 through 12. Seeds 4 through 10 are very much up in the air, and these teams can finish pretty much in any order right now. There's a ton of great storylines, a lot of teams with a lot of pressure. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to get to our desperation rankings among the Western Conference playoff teams. Uh, desperate to win a title or make a deep playoff run. That's kind of how we're framing this. Uh, let's just jump right into this, Gavin. Who's your team under the most pressure in the Western Conference? Yeah, maybe maybe not the the answer that some will expect, but I will have to go with the Phoenix Suns. Um, mm. I, I think the way Mikael Bridges has been playing uh, for Brooklyn is, and and the fact that Kevin Durant has just last night played his first ever Suns home game and did not look anything close to a hundred percent. And now I, I, I think Katie will, will figure it out. Um, he, one, one of the most remarkable things about him is his ability to just get back to a hundred percent almost instantaneously after an injury. Like there were really real questions after he tore his Achilles, like whether he was going to be the same guy and that he was maybe better than ever. So I, I think he's going to be a monster in the playoffs, but I, I, I look back to that game they played against Dallas with, with Kyrie and Luca that came down to Luca basically missing a layup in the final seconds. And, and you realize like you just look up and down the Suns roster and you're like, all right, Kevin Durant is maybe their best defender. And you're, you're relying on Deandre Ayton, who particularly in the playoffs has been really good. And, and maybe the better word is flexible defensively for them, but their depth is completely shot. They have been struggling um, the whole time. Kevin Durant's been out and they desperately miss what Mikhail Bridges brought to the table, which was elite wing defense every night. And, and then a lot of the stuff that Katie's going to fill in offensively. But Bridges just had that 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 y- those years of baked in time, developing with Booker, developing with Chris Paul, developing with DeAndre Aiden, as did Cam Johnson. And, and to me, as someone who like I'll, I'll say it like as someone who was like roots for the Suns and like has watched a million Suns games like 
as they went from laughing stock to pretty good to legitimate contender, um, what I always loved about them and, and what I thought made them greater than the sum of their parts was that ESP and an offense by Monty Williams that leveraged the connectivity and, and, and just like the, I, 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 I guess the, like, like a borderline telepathy that those guys have. And, and now you're trying to incorporate Duran on the fly, who is, is probably the most malleable superstar in NBA history, but that's still a challenge to do. And I, I think if the, if the solution is him and Booker are just going to shoot them to a first round win, second round win, third round win, finals win over the Bucks, like good luck. Like I, I don't think championships mm. are typically won that way. And then Wes, I'll, I'll, I'll leave this to you to go down this road further, but if they don't win this year, like, all right, like, this is the best Chris Paul's ever going to be at this point. And there's, there are nights where he looks completely washed. Um, maybe they bring in a Fred Van Vliet, but it, I, I think with all of Katie's injury issues, like it, this is, this is their first run at it with him, but probably their best chance at it with him as well. Look, when you make a trade, like the one that they did for Kevin Durant midseason, the goal is championship, right? Like that's it. It's yeah. championship or bust. You could argue that before the season, it was championship or bust. And given the way that they flamed out in the playoffs last year against the Dallas Mavericks and how disappointing that was, you know, there was a lot of pressure on this team already before the Kevin Durant acquisition. So I hear you on the pressure. I have them at number four on my list. I don't have them at number one. We're splitting hairs. Uh, but I do think there's three teams under under a lot more pressure. And I say that only because you at least still have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. You know, at the, like even if – and there's ways to move around. Like, you know, if, if you need to go out and get more point guard help, that's that's one thing. I think Chris Paul probably has another year, year and a half left, maybe something like that. I don't know. But – you also get to go out this offseason and start filling some of those needs. You're not going to get Macal Bridges back, right? But maybe, you know, you're you're going to have a mid-level exception. You Maybe some, you're able to work some trades. You have some interesting salaries on those books where maybe you could fill out the wings with more defenders and stuff like that, add to the depth that you lost in the KD trade. So I do think they can make a run at it next year. And if the Suns win one championship, right, this is a home run. So I think this is kind of like a two, maybe three-year window. And... I think they might actually have a better chance next year mm. than they do even this year. That said, you're right. You know, you make a KD trade, you make a big swing like that, you move all the draft picks, all the assets, all that stuff. You are under pressure the moment Kevin Durant steps foot through that building, and uh, and we're here now. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. But I've got the Clippers as my number one team because unlike Phoenix, the Clippers have been doing this experiment for four years, and they've got nothing to show for it. Nothing. And uh, the, this whole Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, whatever, they're going through the Russell Westbrook iterations. They're doing all these other things. But at the end of the day, they moved heaven and earth to get Kawhi and Paul George. Paul George was sort of like the, to me, was like the first star that got traded for like the, the bundles of picks and young players and all that kind of stuff. Like he was the first one to kind of get moved and kind of set the, the, the price for all the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Kevin Durant kind of trades. And, and so they're sort of patient zero on this and they have nothing to show for it so far. And time is really winding down for them. I mean, you got to think if it's an early out for them in the playoffs this year, they've got to make some real changes, right? Like that Russell Westbrook thing just smelled of desperation. So if this is not a team desperate, I don't know what is. So I've got them number one on my board. Yeah, they were number two for me. I, I originally had okay. them number one. I, I it, it's a total toss up. I, I I hear you. the The only reason I had the Suns ahead of them is because, like with KD, like this this might I I obviously this is not it for him, but this this might be like you might never get a version of him that's as good as the current one. And it's no sure thing he's going to be on the floor, which which I feel stupid saying because obviously that's true for Kawhi 
times two and, and is true for Paul George, who's injured coming into this playoffs. But Paul George is still just 32. Kawhi, I couldn't believe this because it feels like he's been in my life for 20 years now, but he, he is somehow just 31 years old. And the Clippers just have unlimited resources in the way that maybe the Suns with a new owner do, and we're just not totally aware of it yet. Mm. But it feels like they're always going to spend whatever it takes to regroup around those guys. And Steve Ballmer's money can make up for mistakes in a way that I, I think pretty much no other team in the NBA can. So that is the only reason I still have some confidence that they can just spend their way out of trouble. But but I hear you. Pressure's Tons, on. Tons and- of toilets. Tons of toilets. Maybe no championships, but... Yeah, boy, we'll have more toilets than the Lakers and the Celtics combined. Look, that's that, <laughs> it, it, like is, is that is that the real barometer of success? We'll, we'll we'll let the fans decide. But but I hear you because there is a psychological toll at a yeah. certain point it, for losing year after year after year. And at a certain point, like guys are looking at each other in the locker room and be like, and like everyone knows it, even if no one's saying it. Like this just isn't working. Um, the next team that I had on my list will also probably come as a surprise, and I, I doubt is your number three, but let me know if it is. Um, I had to, I'll just do three and four at once. I had the Denver Nuggets one spot ahead of the Golden State Warriors, and on paper, like it pretty clearly like should be the Warriors, given that this feels like the last hurrah with them. Mm. But I just can't get there when they've won four championships. Like, like I thought last year was the gravy title. Last year was the one that they weren't supposed to win. I think they were really lucky that Chris Middleton got hurt and the Bucs weren't there because I think the Bucs would have beat them. They were kind of lucky that Jason Tatum didn't totally show up to that series. And then they had an all-time player in Steph Curry who was ready to capitalize and take advantage of it. I don't know if they need another one to prove anything. Denver, conversely, I think they're they're younger and they're still going to be incredible next year because all these guys are smack dab in the middle of their prime. And you can say, you know, well, Jamal Murray was coming off the ACL this year. Next year, he'll be ready. But it's also kind of a similar thing where they've ran it back with this similar group a few times over. And at what point do frustrations start to boil over there? And particularly, West, when they're in a Western conference where they're such a clear-cut favorite this year. like I, That's where I think yes. the pressure comes from. The favorite's always going to have the pressure, right? If you're the team to beat, then you're also the team that if you lose, you it's the most disappointing. Mm-hmm. I hear you on the Warriors. You had them at four, you said. I've got them all the way at nine, man. Oh, like, wow. I, okay. Yeah. yeah. Last year was the last dance. This year is MJ playing for the Wizards. Like, this year doesn't <laughs> matter. And maybe yeah. there ought to be more desperation considering it feels like maybe this is Draymond's last year in Golden State or Clay or something's got to give. Joe Lakeup is out here saying, hey, basically, we're not going to be able to afford this roster next year, so something is going to give. Maybe there ought to be more desperation, but like they, do, it just doesn't seem like they feel all that desperate. So I can't put them up that high. Like if they felt more desperate, they'd be better. It kind of feels like that's the thing that's lacking with them right now. So like I said, I got them all the way at nine. I don't think they care. And so if they don't care, I don't care. Um, I've got Denver at number two. I do have the Nuggets at number two. Uh, yeah. That's it. You're the favorite. You're supposed to win. Uh, I, there's excuses abound for the last couple of years, right? No Jamal Murray. I get it. But he's back. He's healthy. He looks fine. Uh, Nikola Jokic is arguably the MVP for a third straight year. If not, he's going to be in the conversation for the third straight year. Um, you're, you, you've made some big offseason changes specific for the playoffs. The way that you've lost in the playoffs the last couple of years has been really disappointing. And you basically cruised your way to the number one seed all season long. I don't know. This to me, I don't know that a Denver Nuggets team gets much better than this, right? Like you're going to have a certain defensive ceiling when Nikola Jokic is at the center of it all. But they've been, you know, borderline top ten all year in defensive rating. So I don't, I don't know that they're, be, I don't, I don't know that there's a higher level defensively than where they're already at. So I look at this and say, well, if you're not going to win it this year, when the Warriors have been knocked down a peg, uh, the Clippers are sort of a mess. Phoenix is maybe, I don't know, a year away from really putting it together. The Lakers are sort of, you know, they've been dealing with injuries all year. Like the, the West is pretty much, you got the whole thing going on with Memphis. The West is wide open right now. There is no reason why they should not make it out of the Western Conference at all. 
And so if they don't, then you have to have real difficult conversations about what it is about the roster construction that keeps this team from reaching where it is that want where it wants to go. And, and I, I don't know, I don't know what those kinds of decisions or those conversations look like, but that's what, that's what we talk about when we're talking about desperation and pressure and all those things. So I agree with you on the Denver nuggets. Uh, can I give you my number three? Yeah, go for it. I got the Lakers. Mm. Um, not a surprising thing here. It's just, it's LeBron. We're at the tail end of this thing. Anthony Davis, if he keeps playing the way he's playing, they made the big wholesale changes. They did it uh, by, by giving away a top four protected pick. I know the trade looked great on paper, and I, I still like the trade for the Lakers, but you still gave up a pick, man. And when you give up a pick like that, that's top four protected, that lightly protected, you got to see results right away. And with LeBron, I don't know. Is he a flight risk this offseason when, when he becomes trade eligible again? I, I don't I, I don't know that I would go that far, but he wants to win. And, and the way we know LeBron can exert pressure on a team, on a franchise, on a front office, he can do it whenever he decides to do it. And that pressure can be felt like a switch flip, right? And so I think that the pressure is on the Lakers, maybe even more than LeBron, for them to make a deep playoff run. Because if Anthony Davis can't stay healthy, and if they can't show, okay, you know, with AD healthy, with LeBron healthy, after seeing LeBron James of foot doctors, after putting together this team that actually kind of makes sense and I like since the trade deadline, if we can't make a run, if we can't make, if we can't win a round and then make it, and push a team in the second round at the very least, then what are we really doing here? And if LeBron makes that decision, <laughs> that could be that could be problems for the Lakers. You know what I mean? Yeah, I so I I have them at five. I had uh, and this is this is a tough one, and I'll, I'll explain my rationale. I had Dallas one spot ahead of them, and it's weird because if you like injected me with true serum, I would say like, and and there was um, some, some magical device where you could literally measure the desperation of like an owner of a front office. I would put Dallas in number one on this list, but the issue is, is, is like, it's a confused desperation because are, are they desperate to make the playoffs or are they desperate to keep their first round pick and stop the Knicks from getting it by falling into the top 10 and maybe moving up in the lottery and, and locking into a star next to Luka Doncic. So th that confusion is the only thing that stops them from being higher. But man, you you gave up not only Spencer Dinwiddie, not only Dorian Finney-Smith, um, who's who's like obviously not a star, but as as a role player, picture perfect compliment to Luka Doncic to go get Kyrie Irving. You gave up a first round pick that was crucial equity to make a move down the road, and instead this ends up Wes being your all in move for Kyrie Irving, and he's going to end up playing yeah. twenty five games for this team and walking on down to the Lakers and keeping LeBron there. So maybe that's why. I have the Lakers slightly behind them because I, I almost think they, they maybe have Kyrie in their back pocket. And, and then the mm. only other argument against the Lakers is that like you can't say there's a world where like they would be content with LeBron leaving just because they obviously have so much future draft equity out um, initially to the Pelicans. And now I, I guess that first round pick ended up with the Jazz. Um, but they could maybe go for a net style rebuild where they just trade LeBron for, for three, four first round picks to a team and are kind of okay with it because I, I just don't think this team ever realistically was going to win a title. And look, if LeBron and AD magically put together 20 games of health here and roll through the playoffs, like I'll, I'll, I'll come, I'll come right back unlocked on NBA and apologize. But <laughs> I, I just, I just never saw that being a realistic ceiling for them. I've got Dallas at six. I just think they're past the point of desperation. They're, they're clearly now into abject failure. Like this is just past desperation. It's an admitted failure. They're yes. already playing for next year. Next year is a desperation year for Dallas because if next year goes anything like this year, because at least you can let Kyrie walk away and now you're playing with some cap space and maybe you could figure something out and you could sell Luca on that. Mm -hmm. But if next year goes poorly, 
that's a tougher sell to Luca, right? And now you start really worrying about where he ends up. Where do you have Memphis? I have Memphis. I was I wasn't sure where to put them. I have them eighth. I had uh, Minnesota ahead of them, and because I, yeah, I've got Memphis fifth and Minnesota seventh. Go ahead. Okay, so I despite their talent and like I, I hear you like by, by the same logic you had Denver too. Like the the favorites are the favorites, and Memphis despite all the chaos, everything around John Morant. Uh, you can you can look at the standings. I I, I promise it will still say this. They're, they're they're the two seed. They're forty eight and twenty eight in the midst of another great season. But to me, they really are the team that's playing with house money. Like like what happens if they don't win this year? They're, they're still the best drafting team in the NBA. They still have Morant locked up for years. They still have Jaron Jackson Jr. Who maybe the best thing to come out of this season is his offensive emergence. These last couple of weeks and months where where he was a guy who I mean I think it was his second year in the NBA where he was just scalding from three point range. Um, and you were always wondering like, all right, he's, he's one of the two or three or four best defenders in the NBA. When will we get equivalent production offensively from a dude who is an absolute freak in terms of his size, length, athleticism, coordination, ability to shoot the ball. He is emerging. And, and to me that more than anything else, like makes this season gravy for Memphis, particularly if like, I don't, I don't totally buy it, but if Ja has his head on straight, has his priorities in line, and, and maybe that's just maturation. Like I, I just think Memphis has a really long runway, which is why I don't have them higher. But but why, why I have you? Uh, yeah. I have I have them at five. I hear that's a money ball argument, and it's a mm-hmm. good argument. But there's something to be said about just looking dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and the Grizzlies, if they if they don't make a long run here in the playoffs, after all the trash talking, after everything, after Ja saying we're not worried about the Western Conference, all that you are going to look so dumb. You are just going to look so dumb. And I think there's just a lot of pressure to not look dumb for a team whose kind of whole ethos is looking cool and tough. And to look dumb after trying to look cool and tough, that's a blow to that identity, right? And I don't know. I, and I also think that this is a really good team. And I think if they put it all together, they're capable of making it out of the Western Conference. And you never know how long these windows are going to last. You know, ask the 2012 Oklahoma City Thunder. You never know how long these windows are going to last. And I think this team's good enough. Um, so I, I, because they're so highly seated because they've been so good all year because they've got John Morant and these guys that you mentioned, I, I just, I think if, if you're going to be at the top of the conference, it's sort of like the Denver argument. Mm. There's just, there's, there's inherent pressure in that. And also you don't want to look dumb. Let's do the last few quickly. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota, we, you and I have them around the same spot. You know, they made the all in move for Rudy Gobert. You want to make at least some sort of playoff run in order to, uh, you know, uh, back that up, back up that move and validate it. Uh, they have been playing better lately. It kind of feels like vibes are better than they were earlier in the season. Yeah. So cat's coming back. So it's better, but you want to do something. And then just to round it all out, I've got, you and I have Sacramento pretty low. What a great year for Sacramento breaking the, the 17 year drought, all that kind of stuff. Awesome sauce all around light the beam. Good for the Kings. Uh, and then I've got OKC New Orleans and Utah. I just threw them in there. I don't know if you did on yours at the end. Young yeah. teams might make the play in, could make the playoffs. Good for them. Doesn't really matter either way. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I had the Pelicans at ninth, just just in case Zion comes back, because then I I think there, there's, there's a little bit of pressure there. But if if not, I'm with you. Inspired by Major League Baseball's opening day, we've got some rule changes uh, and ideas to improve the NBA. That's coming up next. Unlocked on NBA. It's Friday, which means we're counting down to the weekend today. We've got five NBA rule changes inspired by MLB opening day. Uh, Rules that we would like to add to the NBA next year. Okay, so uh, what I did here, 
uh, Gavin, is I took some of the rules that the MLB implemented and just tried to find sort of the NBA version of them. So for let's just start uh, with the first one. Sure. They limited the pickoffs for pitchers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they're trying to eliminate that needless action. It kills momentum. So in the spirit of eliminating needless action and killing momentum, I said, what does that the most in the NBA? Well, to me, it's the last couple minutes when you're when you're when a team is down by seven and they start playing the foul game. And uh, and now we're just and now we're just watching free throws for for 15 minutes. It, it sucks. Nobody wants to watch it. So I said, you know what? There's no real way to fix it. Right. You got to call the fouls. But instead of taking two free throws, let's just shorten it one free throw for two points. Right. So now it, it, it quickens up the game and it also creates a little bit more risk in the defense doing it, because now you're basically sending a, a shooter to the line. Um, the team that's up could just put their five best shooters on the court. And, you know, you're not really getting a chance to go, okay, maybe they go one for one. And now it's a one point difference instead of, you know, risking them getting two or three points. Like if they just hit that first free throw, it's two points right away and you keep it moving. So that's my first idea. What do you think? I, I like it. Um, the, the NBA tried it in the G League, um, I think two years ago, but it's possibly still the rule. So that's, mm -hmm. it, 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 it's possible that it could happen. Um, to me, I... I wouldn't mind for regular season games seeing uh, the Elam ending um, where you just set a target score and that, and that eliminates that as well because then you, you got to play defense straight up. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to give away points. And I hear you team. on the Elam ending and it's cool. Yeah. To me, it's like an all-star game thing or like a G League thing or maybe they could do it in like this this stupid Adam Silver tournament that they the want to do in the middle of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like which I still hate. And that's why not, that's, um, you know what? That was off the board, but my next rule is don't do that. That's dumb. <laughs> sure. All right, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, I'm, I guess I'm more of a traditionalist. I just, mm -hmm. I like the 48 minutes, man. Like I just like 12 yeah. minutes a quarter. I get the Elam ending. It makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. I guess, I, I guess I'm just not future looking enough. I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not there with it, but yeah, I'm, I'm good with this one. All right, let's move on. Next one. Pitch clock. Um, I love the pitch clock has been amazing. I watched Marlins opening day today. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was the best baseball game I've seen basically since 2003 and the Marlins last one. The World <laughs> shout, out, shout out Josh so. Beckett. Shout out to Josh. Being be, be in my childhood, but go ahead. Keep talking with. Sorry to bring it up. Yeah, Beat fine. the Yankees in that one. That's fine. I know. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what the pitch clock, right? It just quickens up the game. Stuff in the middle that nobody really cares about. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, okay, I got two different. I got two ideas based on the baseball pitch clock. A replay clock, number one. I'm sick of the replays. First of all, we could just get rid of replays. I'd be okay with that. I don't think it's worked. You talk to coaches and players. They hate it. They don't want it. Players getting... Uh, foul calls on them and immediately doing the little finger twirl is now the most annoying thing a player can do in the NBA. It's to me surpassed the too small uh, celebration now and surpassed even just two two palms up to the heavens, uh, praying and 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 begging. Why did you call that on me? Like this thing, as soon as anything happens when you didn't see it, is the most annoying thing. So if you can get ready to replay, great. If not, if replay's here to stay, sixty seconds, real time, done. That's it. Whatever your best guess is at that point as an official, that's what you go with. Done deal. All right. Or the other one I have is you get one mass substitution a half. So hockey style shift change, right? So that teams don't have to call a timeout or wait for a dead ball in order to make their big substitutions. It can't be in the last five minutes of a half because then it gets a little wacky, but you get one mass substitution. When mass, I mean like more than just one guy, you know, when you're kind of Eight minutes left in the or eight minutes into the first quarter, you're trying to get to your second unit. So instead of a, uh, calling a timeout and going to another commercial break or something like that, midway through the game, teams crossing half court as a change of possession. Three players come in, three players come off. Boom, you've got your second unit on. Keep playing. No timeout. Ball keeps moving. What do you think? 
I, I think I think my worst nightmare in the in this scenario is that the two clash and you have a challenge for too many men on the court <laughs> when there's a big shot hit. But I, I, I really I really I do I love that idea and I love the chaos of it. I think I'd initially want it as only a regular season rule because I think it would be fascinating to see how coaches weaponized it. Like like you just have like for the Knicks, um, it would be Obi Toppin just charging off the bench for a transition lob, which would be fun. But That'd I don't know cool. if I want to see that running the playoff game. But yeah, but as a regular season rule, I, I really like it and I kind of I kind of want I kind of want to see it tomorrow now. So I'm I'm, I'm into yeah. it. Yeah. It forces defenses too to just like kind of pick up style. Like, oh wait, who do you got? Who do you got? All right, just let's take them. Yeah. Teams switch all the time anyway defensively mm-hmm. for the most part. So it wouldn't really matter. It would just be like, oh, who, who's your initial assignment? Just pick them up. Make sure he doesn't get to the basket. But I love it. All right. The other MLB rule, shift restrictions to help the offense get on base, right? Love that. I love that for Major League Baseball. The NBA has the opposite problem. They need to help defenses, not offenses. Mm-hmm. The NBA needs to help defenses. So the number one complaint for defenders, Gavin, as you know, is you can't touch anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we're too far gone to allow hand checking back into the game. Right. Like everybody that grew up watching Steph Curry and wanting to be Steph Curry, if you start hand checking, you're getting rid of all of that. You're kind of ruining a whole generation of NBA players. I don't think it would be good. I think the lack of hand checking is actually, it has been good. That's not a hot take, but um, trying to figure out what you can do to help defenders. I spent a lot of time on this one. I came up with just get rid- getting rid of defensive three seconds. Right. Because when you really think about the point of three point shooting, the first point is that three is more than two. The second point is that it creates space so that you can get to the most efficient shot on the court, which is right at the basket. So if we just allow defensive, just get rid of defensive three seconds, you can just put a seven footer at the basket for the entire 24 second shot clock and he doesn't have to move. I don't know. It would, it would require a little bit more strategy to try to find ways to draw him away from the basket other than him trying to 2.9. For 24 seconds. I don't love it. I'm honestly, I'm not I'm like talking about it now and I don't love it, but I'm just trying to figure out something to help defenses. Yeah. I, 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 when, when, when you gave me this exercise, I, that, that was the direction I went to because me, me and my roommates spent night after night uh, complaining about this very thing. Um, the few that I came up with were one, just completely disallowing the rip through. Obviously a few years ago, the NBA changed it. So that's not an automatic foul anymore, but you see Chris Paul still like just, just abuse it. And I think it was it was Ben Taylor who tweeted out like like let players have arms like yeah go back to letting <laughs> players have arms like like I think I think that should be an offensive foul turnover you see a player rip through and shoot in, in a clear intention to try and draw a foul like I just want that out of the game and then I, I think the other thing that would be big and this is a little bit more vague is just calling um off arm like push offs by offensive players much more strictly. Because I, I still think night after night after night, you see stars in particular able to either like ward off a guy with their arm or hook a guy after a drive. And, and when it's blatant, it's called. But if it's anything less than that, and, and the best guys in the NBA, it's it's no coincidence, like have the best body awareness, the best body control, and they know how to do it subtly. But as an officiating community, we need we need better work on that because it is giving guys who have incredible advantages in terms of their IQ, speed, and coordination, that extra boost that they just don't need. And a lot of times in the situations you see fouls ended up being called on defenders. So that, th- those would be kind of my big two, even, even if they're a little bit more vague than yours. Yeah, that's, I kind of went, the, I thought about the officiating stuff. I just don't trust the officials to fix it. You mm-hmm. know, they've, they've gotten enough chances, but uh, it, it's hard. It really is. Yeah. Maybe we just let the hand check and come back in. Sorry, Steph. You got to figure it out, man. Um, all right, the other MLB rule change, bigger bases to promote more steals and exciting plays. Love that one. Uh, I thought, what's the most exciting play in basketball? It's not the dunk. It's not the three-pointer. It's the transition three. It's the transition dunk. That's the most, it's the steal that leads to the score. Uh, and even more importantly, 
those opportunities when you actually have to play defense in those. So the NBA uh, already started creating more transition opportunities. They recognize this uh, by taking away the take foul, changes to the clear path rule, all that stuff. I think they just got to go one step further, Gavin. As long as the foul impedes progress, it's a flagrant two right away. Now guys' money is on the line, and they're not going to do that. So if the foul does not impede progress, no call, right? So if they try that little half foul thing where it's a clear path order just to stop the player, no call. Just let him keep running. If the player can keep running, just let him keep running. I don't care if he got grabbed by the hips a little bit. Just let him keep running and mm-hmm. let him dunk. I don't care. Yeah. If it, but if it's anything more than that, if he does impede the progress because you don't want players actually just knocking these dudes out in order to get the call, flagrant two right away. You're suspended. You're you're getting you're getting docked pay. That no player is going to do that for the like they're just not going to do it. So the other part of it is that it also makes the defense try to make a play on the ball, like LeBron's chase down block, which was one of the most exciting plays in NBA history, and that would be way more fun. And so yeah, creating opportunities for guys to get that you know, uh, get that momentum and in transition and, and and finish with a great dunk, like a highlight dunk or or that transition three that's always so much fun and it can swing a game or actually get the great game-changing defensive plays that can change the swing of a game too. So uh, that would be my, that would be my bigger basis version. Yeah, I'm, I, I like it. I, I think you just have to have a, a really, really astute review system for when guys are trying to genuinely make a play on the, on the ball. And I would hate for that to swing a playoff series where, where someone makes that play, forgets for a moment, and then and then is out for like a pivotal game seven or something. But I also, as, as someone who broadcasts and in turn has to watch a lot of high school basketball, where by and large there there are no take foul rules, and it, and it tortures me because it's it's it just it's it's punishing it's punishing good defense and and rewarding yeah. bad defense. Um, so I'm I'm ultimately with it. I would want it maybe initially to only be a regular season institution, see how it goes, and and then put it in for the playoffs. But I'm I'm with you because I I despise those plays as well. I got one more for you. Mm-hmm. The NBA schedule. Let's fix the schedule. All baseball style series. The NBA has been experimenting with this lately. Let's just go all the way. Let's do do all of it. Two games versus each opponent. Right, home and home in your conference. So two games each baseball series. So you play them on a Friday and a Sunday, for instance. Um, and you do that home and home in your conference, right? So the Knicks would play the heat twice at Madison square garden in January and then twice in Miami in February. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you knock out all four games. That's not new. Here's the real change home and home all each season for out of conference. Okay. I know that the NBA is obsessed with every team playing in every arena, every season. My question is why? And you can tell me, oh, it's so that, you know, a fan base, uh, a fan in Milwaukee, if he loves LeBron James, he has a chance to see LeBron every year. That They started doing this before League Pass, before games were nationally televised, every single night on NBA TV, ESPN, ABC, TNT, whatever, before social media made every highlight available all the time. Now stars are resting half the games anyway. They only play 60 out of the 82 games on average anyway now. So chances are you're not going to be able to see your star in the first place, which is why they're making all these changes to the schedule anyway i don't think it's that important and 80 percent of these games happen on a school night anyway so i don't really care and it's the nba is the only league that does this that values okay you want to see every star in every city every league like the nfl doesn't care if you don't get to see aaron Rodgers this year or tom brady this year or patrick mahomes they don't care in fact you're probably only going to see him once every four years so good luck and just get used to it but the great thing is all the games are on tv well in the nba all the games are on TV or in League Pass now. So anytime you want to watch LeBron, you can. And so I just 
why are we why are we so obsessed with this idea of every team has to play in every arena every season so instead for example the Knicks can play the Warriors twice in one weekend at Madison Square Garden this year and the next year they play the Warriors in San Francisco at Chase Center twice in one weekend next season and that's it and so you play each team in your conference you play every out of conference team twice and I'm good with it yeah, I, I, as a big college football fan, I like it because that's you, you get to look forward to. All right, we're we're gonna get back at home next season, and to me, I would I would do it for a year as an experiment and see if it makes a meaningful difference in terms of the number of games that you lose to load management. And if it doesn't, then I guess I see the value maybe in terms of long term player health, long term player rest, and it's it's good for the league in that sense. But I think that's correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what you're trying to get at here, right? That no, I actually yeah. I think the college okay. football analogy. I don't even look. I think star. Yeah. I think the I think the toothpaste is out of tube on stars resting. If you make the schedule sixty games, they'll play forty. Gotcha. You know what I mean? I just think yeah. that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I want to make it more like football, where you're looking forward to these matchups. Like the best thing yeah. that the that football, college or NFL has going for it is that you get to preview all these matchups before they happen, and there's mm-hmm. a, there's there's an uh, an anticipation to it, right? And the NBA with the games being the way they are, it's like Chicago tonight and then it's Detroit two nights from now. And then Philly was yesterday. What? Like I, you can't even keep the schedule straight. And there's really no reason for it to be that way. I would like yeah. to bring more anticipation the way that the playoffs are, the way that the play in tournament games are where like you're looking forward to these games. You get to preview the matchups, think about the matchups in a real meaningful way and all that stuff. I think it would be better for the media coverage. I think it would be better it would help the on-court product, which has not been as great, right? The the big thing against the NBA is people aren't watching games as much as they're just consuming NBA-adjacent content. Uh, this would make these games more meaningful, um, I think, at least. I don't know. I, I'm good with it. And, yeah, it would also cut down on travel and stuff like that. It would just make the schedule way more easy to consume. All right, so just playing devil's advocate here, do you think it hurts turnout? Like, particularly, like, not, not, in, not like if the Warriors coming to MSG, MSG is going to sell it. Both times, but Toronto is, or Detroit's coming to Toronto. Like, are our fans in Toronto going two nights in a row to watch the Pistons? No, but they weren't going to go those Pistons games anyway. Maybe, yeah, that's fair. And and then and I guess the argument is like, if it's a bigger team, like they they will go twice anyway. So that would that'd be my concern. I think that would be the NBA's primary concern. And I think you could look at this as a positive or a negative. But a lot of times, the baseball style series, the second game ends up being extremely choppy, which if you like defensive basketball, if you like higher intensity, like it could be a good thing, but there are grudges built up in the first game that carry over. Like there's always, there's this fun, weird, this is stuff we talk about in like minute 48 of this podcast, but there's this weird rivalry between Julius Randle, Demontis Sabonis. I I think one of those guys would rip each other's heads off if they had to play two nights in a row. So, so that could be, that, that could definitely be perceived as a positive. So that would be kind it of, it would create like a playoff atmosphere a, a little bit, you know, yeah. not necessarily in like November, but it, to your point, yeah, let grudges build up. That would be fun. You mm-hmm. get these, you get these teams hanging out these NBA cities for three or four nights at a time. Like that would be great, man. Yeah. The stories that would come out of that. All right. That'll do it for us today. Thanks again for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. Now make your second listen game to game NBA every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Gavin, have a great weekend. Yeah, you too, man.